0: well good morning if we haven't had a chance to meet my name is drew mccall i'm one of the pastors here at high point church and i am excited uh to uh, be with here with you again uh, to close out as parker mentioned the series family discipleship so if you have your bible uh, go ahead open it up to deuteronomy chapter six Uh, we're gonna bounce around to a few different places uh, but that'll keep you pretty grounded there in Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, as I mentioned last week, we are in a family discipleship series. So we're gonna use a lot of family language, parenting language specifically. But if you are not, if, no matter what your family looks like, if you're not a parent, just a reminder, this series is still for you. If you're a student in the room, this series is for you. And here's why. Because if you are in Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus, whether you are 12, 22, 62, we're called to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So though we might use some specific parenting language, use some different family language, even if you don't have kids, you can take the truths of the good news that we're talking about today and apply it outside the home just as much as you can inside. So I encourage you with that. Don't forget that. But as we've walked through this series, uh, we've started with talking about the mindset when it comes to parenting. We talked about how we have to change our perspective that we do not walk into parenting or grandparents or even just disciple making. We, we think, oh yeah, I'm going to make disciples, but then it's like, do you really open God's word? Oh I'm gonna I'm gonna raise my kids. Uh, but you know it's all about sports and school. The whole purpose is to raise them to be disciples of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, everything else is good. A lot of it is needed. We need to feed our kids. but we need to give them the Word of God. And then the second week, we talked about the mess of our family, our personal sin, generational sin. The brokenness of our family, if we're going to disciple well in the future, we have to, to deal with the mess of our past. And the good news is actually uh, Isaiah 53 that Anna Grace was just talking about. It talks about how Jesus didn't just take, uh, take on this, our personal sin on the cross, but he was crushed for our iniquities, for the generational sin to set us free from the mess of our past and our family's past. And then last week, we started talking about the makeup of family discipleship, the how-to. We talked about the different spheres of life, and we talked about this magnet that if you didn't grab one last week, make sure you grab one at Next Steps on your way out. But it has moments, model, minutes, milestones, all four of them, different spheres of life that make up family discipleship, all held together by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as, as we were, I was actually, I didn't say this first service, but as we were singing those songs, when we talk about practical things like this, it's really easy to get kind of sidetracked with, okay, I got to go home, I got to do these things, I got to be right in order to earn redemption. Everything we're talking about today is because of that old rugged cross, Everything we do today is not going to earn anything. It's not to go uh, earn anything by your works. It's all of your works are done in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because you have been set free, you be a tool of grace to set others free. That's what we're talking about today. And so last week we talked about modeling and moments, the top two, the more spontaneous times in our lives. As we go through life, as we live, Talked about modeling how if we're gonna train our kids up in a way they should go, according to God's word, guess what? We should make sure we go that way ourselves. And then we talked about moments, how God has given us everyday moments, seemingly insignificant, mundane, everyday moments of life, but we should be good stewards of those moments to speak the truth of Jesus into people, especially into our kids. And so today we're talking about the more structured times in our lives, the minutes and the milestones, because as important as the spontaneous times are, the structured times give us a more holistic view. They give us a nice balance when it comes to discipleship. We can't just be spontaneous. We need to be strategic and structured as well. So if you're in here and you're an organized person who gets like a... uh, one of those daily planners, every Christmas as a gift, or uh, Marley laughs because she probably gets one. You get one, don't you? (laughs) Uh, Or if you love planning the vacation as much as you love going on the vacation, you're gonna love today, okay? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about strategy. We're talking about structure. And if that's not you, I'm sorry. It's good to get outside your comfort zone, okay? So we're talking about the structured times. I wanna go ahead and say that I was actually talking to Brad Harris after the first service, and, uh, and we were just talking about the, the message. And because uh, we're talking about two things, minutes and milestones. And I'll go ahead and tell you up front, the majority of what we're talking about is minutes. We're gonna spend a lot of time there. So like in a bunch of minutes, when I say, all right, now we're gonna talk about milestones, and you look at your watch, you're like, what in the world? I promise you the second part's shorter, okay? So we're talking about minutes first. So here's how we're dis, uh, defining discipleship minutes. Creating intentional time built into the rhythm of the family's life for the purpose of thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel. So you see how this is different than the moments we talked about last week. That was the spontaneous moments that come and go, right? The, the small everyday moments of life. This is talking about scheduling time specifically into the rhythms of your life, setting aside time strategically, on purpose. It's intentionally doing that to think about, talk about, live out the gospel together as a family. And they can be times that you set aside daily, weekly, monthly, it can be consistent for years, it can be different uh, sporadic, It varies, but the whole purpose is as parents and disciple makers, we intentionally schedule time to train up our kids in the word of God and pointing them to the work of God. Intentionally doing that. The modeling, the moments spheres that we talked about, the spontaneous ones, they're important, but it's vital that we take our schedule and build time in to intentionally train them. And that's what we're talking about. We're gonna talk about the why. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter six. We looked at it last week. We're gonna look at it again, starting in verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember, that was the, the one truth about God. He is the one and only God. All these other gods, false. He is the one and only. Verse five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. And that's what we talked about when it comes to modeling, right? If we're gonna train them up, we better go that way ourselves. It starts with us living as a disciple of Jesus. But then we went to verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. That's where we talked about the moments where it's the everyday times of life. You talk about these things. As you walk, sit, lie down, rise, it's the everyday moments of life. But there's three words in verse seven that I wanna go back to when it comes to the discipleship minutes, this intentional scheduling and training of our kids. You might wanna guess what they are? Well, you're in first service, Mr. Lloyd, that's cheating. <laughs> cheater, cheater. It's teach them diligently, teach them diligently. The word used there, the Hebrew word used for teach them diligently, it's one word, it's shenan. Y'all say shenan, shenan. Here's what it means. It means to sharpen, to prepare, to directly and decisively teach, to instill with persistent instruction. So it paints a picture, not just of the spontaneous times in life when we go through life and we're talking about these things, but intentionally, decisively, directly training them, persistently instructing them. And then there's a different definition, I didn't mention it on purpose, because I'm gonna mention it now, of shenan. And it means to wet. Now that's not wet, W-E-T. This isn't go tell your kids to run through the sprinkler. Okay? This is W H E T. And what that means is to challenge and stimulate and deepen. See, so often when we talk about teaching, it says teach them diligently. We say, okay, I'm going to teach them. We think lectures and monologues, right? But when we take that understanding of to wet, to stimulate, we see what they're really talking about when they say shenan. What they're saying is we want to teach them diligently, directly, decisively, to challenge them in a way that deepens their understanding. Does that make sense? It's not just telling them something, it's truly teaching them and instructing them, raising them up. And that's the difference between teaching and telling. I, uh, I mentioned this first service. Uh, I saw that one of our students, Grayson Saunier, just signed uh, Ole Miss baseball. They just signed him last week. Saw it on social media. Uh, he wasn't here, of course, today when I gave him a shout-out, but that's okay. Um, but he did, and I was told that I don't keep up with baseball. I was told that Ole Miss is good at baseball, so that's, he must be good, right? So if for the next month we're gonna set aside time in this service for Grayson to come up here and tell us all how to throw a knuckleball, which again, I've been told is a pitch, okay? If he comes up here and he teaches, he tells us all how to throw a knuckleball, 20 minutes. And at the end of a month, we're all gonna go to the backfield. Unless you knew how to throw one before, none of us are gonna know how to throw a knuckleball. You might try, it's gonna look terrible. Why? Because we all know, as much as we try to, when we try to tell people things, that doesn't mean they learn anything. But if we were to give Grayson 20 minutes of teaching us, what that would look like is him telling us, but him also holding a ball and showing, I don't know how you hold a baseball, uh, but him showing us what that pitch looks like. Him giving us each a ball so that we could hold ourselves. Us going out to the backfield over the next month so we can all take practice throws. That's teaching. Then over the next month, it'll probably still look bad, but you'll be trained in that. You'll be able to throw a knuckleball even if it is not great. It's better than it is today, I promise you. That's the difference between telling and teaching. And the same goes with family discipleship it's we can't just tell them god's word we actually have to train them diligently teach them to what to wet to deepen stimulate challenge their understanding of it because too often as disciple makers and as parents we think our job is to feed them we think our job is to feed them but guess what it's not Our job is to teach them diligently in a way where they learn and understand how to feed themselves. That's the difference between telling and teaching. In that family discipleship book that I mentioned a bunch last week, here's what they say the difference between telling and teaching. It's gonna be behind me. In telling, the parent is thinking, what am I gonna say? Whereas in teaching, the parent is considering how can I help my child understand this? In telling, parents ask their children questions like, do you understand it? Does that make sense? And are looking for a head nod. But in teaching, a parent is asking things like, can you explain that to me? And what do, you, what do I mean when I say blank? In order to evaluate their children's grasp of what's being taught and get them to interact with the content. Here it is. This is the best part. A positive result from telling is that your children remember some of what your parents said, of what parents said, but a positive result from teaching goes beyond regurgitation to the ability to demonstrate, distinguish, and defend what they've been taught. When we teach them diligently, they don't just regurgitate. They don't just, "Uh uh-huh, I heard you. We help them understand it. We stimulate their minds, their hearts to a way where they understand it. We want to teach them and train them because one day they're gonna have to own it themselves. And we want to prepare them, sharpen them for that. It reminds me of this story, uh, another example in scripture. Does anybody in here know who Lois and Eunice are? Anybody? This is a free, you can raise your hand or scream it out. Nobody? Good, that's what I was counting on. So Lois and Eunice, no you don't. Lois and Eunice, it's this mother and daughter. They were Jewish women, they lived in this town, Lystra. And uh, they, were, they were Jews, but by the grace of God, through the, the spread of the gospel, they, come to, they came to put their faith in Jesus. Still not ringing a bell? It is somebody's mom. See, Eunice, at some point, after putting her faith in Jesus, she came to have a son. I bet you heard of him. His name's Timothy. Anybody heard of Timothy? Y'all are just shy and don't want to raise your hand. You heard of Timothy. Thank you. (laughs) Timothy, he was a, a man raised by his grandmother, by his mom, believers in Jesus. He came to put his faith in Jesus. Paul came to Lystra, he met Timothy. Guess what he did? He took Timothy under his wing. He discipled Timothy. He took him on a a, a missionary journey. He left Timothy, Timothy in Ephesus to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. But it's interesting in 2 Timothy, in Paul's second letter to this guy, Timothy, he mentions Lois and Eunice. Look at what he says, 2 Timothy chapter one. I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first, where? In your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And then skip to chapter three. Again, he mentions them. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from who you sorry ugh, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus so Timothy this guy who was a missionary a pastor of Ephesus Disciple by Paul, what does Paul say? He said, your faith was shared with you by who first? Your grandmother and your mother. They're the ones that raised you. That's what he says. And if you look at it, the, the words in, in verse 14, it says learned twice. The word used there, it's a Greek word, so it's not shenan, but it has a very similar meaning. It means to learn by use and practice, to be in the habit of. So the insinuation there is Lois and Eunice, they raised Timothy up in the habit of dealing with the scriptures. They trained him in a way where he was using it himself. They didn't just tell him, they shared it with him, they showed him how to do it. How to to read the scriptures and, you know, to them, the the sacred writings, the scriptures, it was the Old Testament. But what's beautiful is that through the spread of the gospel, they put their faith in Jesus and they, Eunice and Lois, they started to see, hey, the scriptures, what Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 53, he's talking about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, it points to Christ. So they didn't just share the, the sacred writings, They showed him just the word of God, but the work of God through the word of God. They raised him in it, where it says that he was familiar, he knew it. And the reason I mention that is in verse 14, throw that back up there. It makes a distinction there. It says you have learned and you have firmly believed. There's two different stages there. And that's why we teach our kids, that's why we teach our kids because there's gonna be a point in their lives, their 20s, their teens, their 30s, 40s, I don't know what it is, but at some point, there's gonna be a time where they are going to own it themselves. They're gonna have to own it themselves. They're gonna have to firmly believe it. That's why we don't just feed them, we teach them how to feed themselves is because there's going to be a point in time they have to come and firmly believe in this believe in the work of Jesus. We build a firm foundation so that they can come to firmly believe. And I said this last week, I don't remember if it was in this service or the sec, the first service, I only said it in one. But so often we think our job as disciple makers or parents is to to put together the puzzle of life for people and say, here, but it's not. It's to teach them diligently, which in reality means giving them the puzzle pieces they need so that one day they can put together the puzzle of life because they have to take it and own it for themselves. Now, as we're talking about this scheduling, this intentional time, I am sure that you're sitting here and you come up with a bunch of excuses in your head. And I assume that because I did literally the exact same thing. As I was reading books, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was like, yeah, I know Colby Grace needs that. But, yeah, right? We come up with all kinds of excuses. So I listed the ones that I thought about. Maybe you have the same ones in your mind. But how do we have time? We're so busy. We have so much going on in our lives. How are we going to make time for this? Here's a better question. With everything you have going on in your life, how do you not have time for this? How do you not prioritize this? And what's interesting, I noticed this as I was, this excuse came in my head. We've talked about modeling, moments, Now minutes, and one of the excuses for all three of them has been busyness. Because I truly believe that busyness is one of the biggest hurdles and barriers when it comes to discipleship and family discipleship. And I say that as an incredibly busy person. It's one of the biggest hurdles we have. But if our main priority is to make disciples of Jesus. If that's our first call, as disciples of Jesus, is to make disciples of Jesus, we have to build in time in our schedule because you know what? Your schedule reflects what your priority is. So what does your schedule reflect is your priority. What does your schedule say about it? Does it say that disciple making is your first and foremost priority? Here's what uh, Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary said. He said, if parents are looking for a convenient time to schedule family worship, they may as well forget about the idea. Christianity and discipleship is not a matter of convenience. It involves cost. Convenient time, if you're looking for that, you might as well just not worry about it. Or maybe uh, you might be thinking, but we bring them to church. They're sitting right here next to me. You told me to model last week. Look at what I'm doing, right? Or maybe uh, they're over there, and they're over there in Kid City. Maybe you bring them to crew on Wednesday nights, and you're like, well, I bring them here. That's great. Keep doing that. But here's the thing. Is the body of Christ, the church? has a role in your family's life, but it can never take your role. That's, that's why I don't like this. Uh, we used to use this term invest, I didn't say this for a service, we used to use this term invest and invite a whole bunch, right, and it was this idea, hey, go build a friendship, bring them here, let that man on stage, let those worship leaders, let them bring them to Jesus. That's not what discipleship is. We are called to make disciples in our homes and outside of our homes. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this. Let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that Sunday school, and obviously he meant Clubhouse Kids City crew, the house, uh, but let no parents fall into the delusion that Sunday school is intended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and most natural condition of things is for Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes, teach them to gather with the body of Christ. But the body of Christ cannot step in and influence them and spend as much time with them and have authority over them in the way you do. Or how about this one? Okay, I get it, but won't it be weird? Like we've never done this. That's gonna be weird. Let's sit down and read the Bible together, family. Yeah, it might be weird. New things are weird, and that's okay. Embrace the weirdness, okay? You'll figure out what works. You'll figure out what doesn't work. Don't worry about it. Figure out a way to make it fun. If you love sports, if you go home on Sundays, and you watch the NFL as a family, have a halftime devotional. If if you have a, a son or daughter who's moved away and then they come home, For Sundays, just because, man, y'all have always watched sports together, have a family devotional in the middle of it. They don't have to live in your home. If you love the outdoors as a family, figure out a way to be outdoors and worship together, to talk and think about scripture and the work of God and Jesus. I was talking to the Harris's last week and they bought this fancy smokeless fire pit thing, right? And I was telling Brad how crazy he was because it's expensive. And, and he said, it's worth it because our family prioritizes and loves sitting outside around the fire together. Make it fun. You don't have to sit in a circle and read through First Corinthians every single time and sing Kumbaya for 62 minutes. Make it fun. Figure it out. It'll be weird. Cool things are weird. Here's the next one. The last one, really. But where in the world do I start? Okay, I get it. It's going to be weird. What in the world do I do? Never done this before. Three things. Keep it simple. Right? Keep it simple. Don't overthink it. Keep it simple. The good news, you don't have to have a seminary degree To train your kids in the Word of God. Now, side note, you do probably need to meditate on the Word of God yourself. Like we talked about modeling last week. If you're not soaking up the good news yourself, how are you going to be wrung out for your kids? And you should probably be discipled by someone a step or two ahead of you as well. But you don't have to have a seminary degree. Keep it simple. Read God's word together. Read something based on God's word that's that's gospel centered, that's full of God's word and scripture. Pray together. Talk about these things. Remember, it's to stimulate. Don't just read it, say, okay, pray, we're done. No, talk about these things. Help them understand what they're reading. Pray about it. Sing worship songs together. Keep it simple. Keep it fun. Keep it simple. The second thing is depend, it depends on their age. Different kids and adults learn differently. You could have Johnny over here and Steven over here and they, they, they're wired differently. If you're discipling someone, especially if they live in your home, you know them best. You know how you can reach them. It depends on their age. If your son is 27 years old and y'all every other week have breakfast and Bible study together, that ain't gonna work for your four-year-old daughter. Talk about being weird, right? It's not gonna work. It depends. My daughter's one. If we sit her down for too long, she just spins around in circles in our lap. Realistic expectations, right? And the good news is that uh, there are a bunch of different resources that are geared towards people at different stages of life. Whether they're kids, when they hit teenage years, what, we should really be training them to be adults, right? That's why, honestly one of the reasons we don't have student ministry on Sunday mornings is because we want teenagers to know what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. We want, we want them up there serving in kids. We want them holding doors for people. We want them to sit here so that you can model for them what it looks like to worship and pray but there are all kinds of resources: Bible uh, storybooks, Bible studies, catechisms. I brought some uh, that we just had in our house. This one's called Near. It's geared towards young kids, obviously, because look at it. But it's about Psalm 139. It's about how God is always near. This one is by Ellie Holcomb. Don't forget to remember, because we're forgetful people. We love the Holcombs. We love Drew Holcomb, the neighbor. So I said, "Hey, she wrote a book. Let's buy it. See how it is. It's incredible." What's this book about? It's about how we don't forget to remember because God made his creation to reveal to you his glory. This one's a Jesus storybook Bible. It's when she's a little bit older, we're gonna give this to her as one of her first Bibles. This one is when she's a little bit older in her older elementary, it's still in the box, uh, older elementary, because she's not there yet, because we wanna prepare her. These little flashcards, uh, she goes to PDO, they say that she's learning her alphabet, she's really not, but at some point she will. And this are these are flashcards, A through Z. But at the bottom of each one of them, it tells you a different characteristic of God. Because I want her to learn her alphabet, I also want her to know the character of God. It depends on their age. And the third one is, Start somewhere, not too early, not too late. If your kid's 17, about to move out, start somewhere. You got six more months, not to make you cry. If they're 32, it's not too late. If they're 62, it's not too late. Start somewhere. And everything, like I said earlier, it'll look different daily, monthly, weekly, sporadic, continual. What, what we do with Colby Grace is, is we, we use something that's already kind of in her routine because she's only one, so we use her bedtime routine. Give her a bath, brush her hair, put her you know pajamas on her, and then we sit down with her. We read one of these books with her. We pray with her. About once a week, I turn on Spotify, and I, we sing with her. She doesn't sing along. She doesn't know what we're talking about, but we're, we're praising the Lord with her. And I brought this book, Llama Llama Red Pajama, doesn't talk about Jesus once, but she loves this book, so we try to keep it fun. She laughs, she, you know, hits the book because she thinks it's fun. We keep it fun. So st- 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 keep it simple, depends on their age, starts somewhere and on the website on the way out you know I mentioned the magnets but I mentioned this last week the QR code go to highpointonline.com/resources we have a bunch of minutes discipleship minutes ideas on our website that we uh, we got from this family discipleship book and it has a whole bunch of them i think it's on the screen yep, there it is family meals and prayer bedtime routine like i was talking about family uh, commute you're in the car with them all the time how can you leverage that Weekly times, family uh, family nights, movie nights, game nights, worship service, don't just come here and gather, but as you're leaving or as you're having lunch, discuss with them, stimulate, challenge them. Family Bible studies, community. When we, at 1.30, we're meeting at our friend's house for our small group meets, our daughter's gonna be there. Yeah, she goes and plays right now because she's one, But she comes down after and we all eat together and she sees us all pray together and we're talking about what we learned. At some point, she's gonna be old enough and we're gonna bring her downstairs to participate with us. Those times in community, serve, one-on-one time, all these different ideas. And again, I think, uh, go to the next slide. There we go. We even have this on on that resource page. This is just a sample, but there's a blank one. I encourage you, print it out. Talk about whether it's you as a family or you as just a disciple maker. Man, I really need to figure out what my time with who I'm discipling, what it looks like throughout this week. How can we build this into the rhythms of our life? Because how can we not afford to make it a priority? And here's why this is so important. Back to Timothy. Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 15. Remember, from childhood he's acquainted with the the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We train them up in God's word because it's in God's word that he reveals himself to us. It's in God's word that we are revealed, the sinners we are, it's in God's word that we, that we receive his wisdom to guide us in life. Most importantly, in God's word, it reveals his finished work for us in Jesus. It reveals that redemption story. So we train them up to feed themselves to see the work of God. That's family discipleship minutes. I told you, majority is gonna be that. Moving on the milestones. About a month ago, my do- uh, we took our daughter, i mentioned she's one, so we took her to her one-year-old checkup thing, right? And the doctor was asking us a bunch of questions while we we're there. Is she walking okay? How's she interacting with people? Is she like holding cups correctly? All these different things. Why was she asking us that? No one wants to answer, that's okay. Th- those things are seen as milestones. Like if you literally go to the CDC website, it has a list of milestones for different ages because milestones are those significant times of life that are marked for the purpose of seeing uh, significant growth and changes, right? And it's not just in kids, it's in your life. Birthdays, anniversaries, first jobs, first dates, first paychecks, all different kinds of things. These are milestones, But as we talk about milestones when it comes to discipleship, we're not just talking about these things to celebrate them for the purpose of celebrating. We're talking about taking these times, celebrating them, but marking them with a spiritual meaning. To not just celebrate the occasion, but the God of the occasion. So here's how we're defining it. Milestones, marking and making occasions to celebrate and commemorate significant spiritual milestones of God's work in the life of the family and the child. Milestones are memorable and spiritually meaningful. It's taking those times that are so impactful for your family and intentionally marking them so that They continue with us so that they're memorable. So not just that they're memorable, but but we remember God's work in that moment. That's what a milestone is. And this isn't new to family discipleship. There's examples all over scripture of times being marked for the purpose to remember God's work. The, the The passage that the Harris's read, Joshua chapter four, Leading up to Joshua chapter four, God set his, his people, the Israelites, he set them free from Egypt, took them through the Red Sea. He destroyed the Egyptians because he brought the Red Sea down on the Egyptians. He said, y'all are my people. I am your God, you're my people, here's my law. Here's how to live in light of who I am and who you are as my people. And then he provided for them over and over and over and over and over again in the wilderness. And then he brought them to the promised land. And right there on the edge of the promised land is the Jordan River. And so he brings them to the promised land, but then guess what? He does this incredible miracle again where he stops the Jordan River from flowing so that the Israelites can walk by on dry land. Incredible miracle. But God doesn't just say, all right, go ahead. He tells them, to grab 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, to grab 12 rocks from the dry land they just walked on in the middle of the Jordan. And here's what they're to do with them. Look at the passage. And those 12 stones, which he took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their father, in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you, to, uh, for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you fear the Lord your God forever. It's a huge mo- uh, moment in Israel's history. But God didn't usher them in and say, all right, enjoy the promised land. He made them stop, grab these stones, set them up, and he said, here's why you're doing that. It's to remember this occasion. It's to remember this occasion right here, right now, but not just celebrate this occasion, but to celebrate, what's it say? So that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. It's to remember that I brought you in and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It's to remember me and it's to remember who you are, that I delivered you. And there's a bunch of other examples. The rainbow, Noah's Ark, right? Big symbol. It's a sign of his promise. It's, a, it's also, it's a, it's, a, it's a sign that reminds us of his wrath. It's a sign that reminds us of his mercy and his promise to never do that again because he was sending a better sign in Jesus. The altars all throughout the Old Testament, they built altars to remember who he is and what he's done. God instituted festivals and holy days to remember his holiness and his faithfulness. The jars of manna uh, in the the wilderness. I mentioned how he provided He provided manna because they were hungry. So manna would fall from the sky. They would gather it up and then it would decay because the next day it would fall from the sky. It was a constant reminder of deliverance and God providing. Well, guess what? He told Moses to take a jar, stick some manna in it. Why? To remember that God provided Marking it. Ebenezer, God won an incredible battle for the Israelites and he told Samuel to take a rock, set it in the middle of the valley to call it Ebenezer, which means God helped us. And then in the New Testament, the Last Supper, Jesus, he said, whenever you take this bread, whenever you take this cup, you remember my body was torn for you, my blood was spilled out for you to cover your sins. And then baptism all throughout the New Testament. We we saw one today. Baptism is something that that as a a symbol that we have been crucified with Christ and raised as a new creation as, as Anna Grace read. Over and over again, God marked these occasions for the purpose of remembering. And Jesus said it perfectly in the Last Supper. He said, do this, why? In remembrance of me. For the most part, all these other spheres of discipleship, modeling moments, minutes, they come and they go. Milestones are meant to last. They're meant to be reflected on, remembered. They have a purpose. And you don't have to create new things in your calendar for milestones. Take advantage of what already exists in the normal walk of life. Birthdays first jobs, first Bibles, right? Make them memorable. Give them significant spiritual meaning. Instead of just giving them their first Bible, take them out to dinner. Take them out to Texas Day Brazil. Talk about the grace of God giving us his work and the grace of God giving us Texas Day Brazil. Make it memorable. Instead of just another birthday, when they hit that certain age, have a rite of passage ceremony. Invite men and women who have influenced them to come and pray over them, to read God's word over them. Make it memorable. Instead of Thanksgiving and Christmas coming and going like normal, create a family tradition that's memorable, that has spiritual meaning. Go serve together on Thanksgiving, Memphis Union Mission. Or Parker mentioned Asha's Refuge. Make that a family tradition. Do a 12 days of Christmas devotional leading up to Christmas. Make it memorable. Instead of another family vacation to the beach, find a day to go worship together at sunset. Or if you're super brave, do sunrise. Add spiritual meaning to it. Or here's a great one, if when your, your, your child puts their faith in Jesus, gets baptized, celebrate it like crazy like you would their birthday. I was literally talking to the Steels, Josh and Alicia out in the, out in the lobby afterwards, and, they, and Alicia said, or actually Josh was telling me, I've never heard of that until I married her. Her family has done that for years. She said, we just celebrated mine last month. I don't know how old she is, but she's a mom. And she's still celebrating her spiritual birthday. Milestones. Creating these milestones can have a significant impact, not just in that occasion, but lasting. And there's a bunch of different ideas. I'm not gonna read them because I don't wanna bore you, but you can go download it, print it out again. Create your milestone plan. And they have it for different, we have it for different ages. Have ideas for different ages. Go take that. Figure out what it's gonna look like. You gotta start somewhere. Because milestones make a great way to remember all that the Lord has done. Right, that's what he says in Joshua Joshua 4. Why do you do it? Because I want you to remember what I've done for you. It's a great way to remember. And we need to remember because we are forgetful. The Israelites, they had this 12 stone monument. Guess what? If you know anything about Israel's history, they forgot. And we forget too. We can sing these songs, we'll go to lunch, we're forgetful. Our our kids, they forget too. So we wanna make these milestones, mark them with the purpose of helping us remember. Helping us remember God's goodness, his faithfulness, what he's done for us, what he's done in us, what he's done through us. The first time your kid goes on a mission trip, mark that moment. So that they, because here's the, thing about, here's the thing about God's faithfulness is when we remember his faithfulness in the past, it's really what strengthens us in the future is because when we are forgiveful, we can remember what he's done. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If he's delivered you from your sin and death on the cross through the resurrection, <laughs> what is he not gonna, he not gonna give you? He's going to give you everything you need. He's already given you everything in Christ. So there we are, minutes and milestones. As we wrap up this series, we've talked about the mindset, the mess, makeup. That is our motive for the whole thing. It's the reason why, on that magnet, the gospel of Jesus is in the very center. It's our motive to remember. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter six. We looked at it last week, starting in verse 20. When your son asked you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes of the rules of the Lord that the Lord the God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaohs, Slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. All of the dues that we're talking about, it's all firmly planted in the complete done is what it says, Why do you do all this stuff? To remember that I delivered you out of Egypt, that I redeemed you. He's reminding the Israelites of their redemption story because he says that's the why behind the what. That's why you do is because of who I am and what I have done for you. He wants our motive to not be religious legalism, but to be his redemptive love. That's our motive, and the same goes for us, except for us, we have a far greater redemption story, a far greater salvation story. As helpless as the Israelites were in Egypt, we were far more helpless in our sin, unable to set ourselves free. As as enslaved as they were in Egypt, we were far more enslaved. But in Christ, He sets us free from sin and death only by grace. That's our redemption story. And it's our motive, it's our energy, it's our fuel. Because as hard as disciple making is, as hard as raising our kids is, it's not the hardest thing ever done. As hard as it is for you to raise your kids, it was far harder for him to give up his one and only son for you, to redeem you, to use you as a tool of grace in the other's lives. See, we have to remember that we are way more like our kids than unlike them. We need grace Just as much as our kids do. I said this first service the people that you may go and make disciples, you may evangelize to, you need the mercy of God just as much as them. You need forgiveness just as much as them. You need the authority of God and the wisdom of God in your life found in Christ just as much as them. It's our redemption story. And here's the thing, is praise God that in Christ, we have all of that and more. We have to remember the motive because the weight of family discipleship is very heavy. I've had a lot of people come up and be like, man, I didn't realize it. I feel it. Oh man, I've waited too long. They're 23 now. You feel the weight. But the good news is you don't have to carry the burden because you can't. And if you're in here as a disciple maker or as a parent and you feel burdened, let me tell you why. It's because you've tried to step into a role that you don't belong in because you can't change anyone's life. The truth is, we sang it a second ago, Jesus is the redeemer. You are his representative. Scripture tells us that we are a new creation in Christ, and in the very same passage, it says you are an ambassador for Christ. He is the redeemer. He's the one who makes dead things alive. It's his redemption. He's the redeemer, not you. So feel the weight, but don't try to carry the burden can't trust in his saving grace, trust in his sanctifying grace, and then parent and make disciples with freedom and joy in response to who he is and what he's done. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to do response a little bit different, but I want to invite you to respond where you are. We're not going to sing a song today. I wanna invite you, if if the Lord's convicted you of something where you are, write it down. Spend some time in confession. If you wanna come up here and kneel on this stage, do it. If you need to pray with your family, if if the Lord lays someone that's on this side of the room and you're sitting over here and you wanna go pray with them, go pray with them. Feel the freedom right now to respond how you need to respond. I'm gonna pray and we can respond and I'm gonna come up here and dismiss us. But let me pray for us. God, we, we thank you because we are not the redeemer. We can't redeem ourselves and we can't redeem anybody else. But God, you in Christ made a way of redemption and praise be to you for that redemption story. God, none of us can be saved by our own works. It is only by grace so that no man may boast in ourselves, but only that we can boast in you. So Lord, I pray that you set people free today from trying to carry the burden of making disciples. Because I know that there are parents in this room that feel the burden. God, let them feel the weight, but not try to carry the burden, to trust in you. Bring them to their knees at your feet. God, maybe there are people in this room who, who, who this is, is blowing their minds because they have never heard that redemption story of Jesus. And I, Holy Spirit, I pray that only you can do what only you can do. Help them come to put their faith in Jesus because it's not too late as long as it is called today by the grace of Jesus Christ. The work of for us is to put our faith in the one you sent to take our sins away, to provide redemption. So God help us, fill us up in the name of Christ, amen.